Blog Talk Radio. From the baddest borough in the world, Brooklyn, New York, it's Blazing Rye Radio. Today, from her new show, Kidding on the Square, Emily Burgle, featuring the Blazing Rye panel. enough to call 911 on the Hamburglar, Ryan Holmes. Hey, everybody. What's going on? It's Thursday, August 24th, 2011. Glad to have you tuning into Blazing Riot Radio, either over the phone or online with our chat room. Very excited about our show today, but first, let's start off with something we like to do on the show called the Blaze and Rye panel. Today, I'm joined by an actor who is one of the developers and stars of the Fringe Festival show, Happily Ever After, which is playing at the CSV Flamboyant this weekend in New York, Travis Stuberg. I'm also joined by a hilarious comedian who has played many venues in New York City and is the producer and host of Straight Up Stand Up at Zinc, Jordan Ferber. Guys, welcome to the show. Well, thanks Hello. for having me. Uh, I'm just going to say Hello. it's Stu Bean, like the captain of the love boat. Oh, captain okay. Stu Bing, is that I'm you? sorry, Captain Stu I'm not, Bing. you know, it, it's no thing. Stu Bing, Stu Berg. I'm just <laughs> glad to be I on hear this you. show. <laughs> well, thanks, guys, for coming back. Jordan, welcome back. Um, let's get right to it. The big story that is making all sorts of headlines today is the resignation of Steve Jobs, the new former CEO of Apple. Many think this is related to some health problems that he's uh, dealt with in the past. You might recall his six-month leave of absence a few years back. A lot of people are saying that Apple will probably not be the same since he was responsible for the design of this revolutionary technology. Um, let me start with you, Travis. Do you think Apple will ever be the same, and will you still buy Apple computers knowing that Steve Jobs is not CEO? Well, uh, I've never owned uh, a Mac or anything. Uh, I used an iPhone. I've had one for a while. My whole theory on this whole thing is they've just designed a stronger, more intelligent Steve Jobs, and any day now he's going to take over. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I love and Apple products, and they've been doing me well for quite some time. Yeah, and Jordan, would you agree with that assessment? I think uh you know eventually uh, I think he's working on a on a on an app that'll be a self diagnosis. <laughs> It'll be oh, a big man. thing, you know, you you'll have to download the app that tells you why he's actually resigning. <laughs> um can can it work for anyone or just for him? Like can you be like, "Oh, I have a hernia just based on this, this app you're talking about?" It could be. I mean, you know, it'll end up being something. I think if he really wants to push it, it'll have to be one of those like a uh, uh, a disease that has the Steve. You know, you have Steve Jobs disease. <laughs> you know, he's gonna he's gonna create. It'll start a whole new market. <laughs> so 
Do you think people will buy into that since Apple products have been so successful? They'll buy into this Steve Jobs disease. Yeah, all they have to do is put uh, you know get the eye disease. Get the eye disease. Yeah. Uh, Travis, would you go go and buy the eye disease? You know, I wouldn't buy it, but I'd probably catch it from someone else. <laughs> you have okay. to also get the eye vaccine. Right. Sorry. <laughs> then, then you could also have get the eye vaccine. Oh, no. very true. Oh no. Um, I don't so, think Apple's okay. going anywhere. They're going to continue to dominate the market. I mean, you know, I, I yeah. I, I had a I had a droid for about uh, a month before I just realized I made a horrible mistake and got an iPhone. <laughs> uh, and the technology wow. you only had no, What killed it for me was that I I was trying to send a text message to somebody that told them that I I bought a droid, and it kept autocorrecting yeah. the word droid to druid. Then <laughs> that right there is an epic fail on the part of uh, of of the droid people because uh, you know you just have to type in IP and it'll and it'll auto, auto automatically put in iPhone if you don't know the name of yeah. your own device. The droid people, I love it. All right, so we'll all survive even if Steve Jobs is not, and we'll all keep using Apple products. It seems. Um, okay, next up, uh, this is quite something. Google has paid $500 million to settle a U.S. Department of Justice case over illegal drug ads. These ads were uh, advertised in the United States from Canadian pharmacies. Um, Now, part of the settlement does represent the revenue Google did receive from these ads. Justice Department uh, claims that Google was aware of all the illegal smuggling of drugs from Canada since 2003 and blocked other pharmacy ads from other countries except Canada. Let me ask you, Jordan Ferber, um, what do you make of this? Well, I'm kind of disappointed that uh, that I'm only just learning that you could have bought that I could have bought drugs from Canada online. I mean, this yeah. is how I'm learning about this: is that it's no longer available. No, I mean, I would see these ads too, and I would always wonder how it was possible that I was seeing them here in America, but they were there. I I don't remember having seen any of them, and you know, I'm I'm part of the core demographic, I would guess. <laughs> um, and uh, Travis, do you think that this is uh, one big a uh, big price tag. Why are we seeing this transpire now, and is the price too big to pay? You know, I couldn't possibly tell you. Um, I didn't even know that the sale of drugs online was a big thing. Typically, you know, you just go outside, walk a block, and somebody's trying to offer you some sort of medicine in one form or another. So it's uh, it's a lot. That's a lot to take in at once. Yeah. The thing is, <laughs> if you go around the block, you're not really going to find your, your Propecia and all these drugs that, you know, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I know a guy. <laughs> who who really <laughs> takes Propecia recreationally, though? <laughs> it's, you know, that's, that's not even really a, that's not even a, show, a social drug. Nope, not even. I mean, it does nothing to you except maybe give you prostate cancer later on. Right. Ooh, ooh, hits hits close to home. <laughs> oh, oh dear. Okay, moving on. Um, finally, it seems that uh, that anybody stuck on the East Coast and never explored life on the West Coast, got an experience reserved for West Coast residents the other day, an earthquake. The quake started in Virginia, managed to reach New York City, as well as Washington, D.C., where they had to evacuate the Pentagon, and Martha's Vineyard uh, was evacuated, and that's where the president was vacationing. Um, Okay, let's see. Uh, Travis, in one word, tell me how the earthquake made you feel. Rocky. And Jordan, in one word, tell me, tell me how the earthquake made you feel. Manly. 
because I didn't feel anything. I, I, I was not. I was not. Uh, I didn't even notice it. I think that we were, we're a little bit, uh, a little soft on the East Coast, as it turns out, because there were actually there were there were also earthquakes in California on that same day, and for them it was just Tuesday. <laughs> there was no, nothing to we be were alarmed about. Phased. Well, Jordan, you were you were manly because you were not phased by this at all, huh? Not at all. Not at all. Well, you know, this whole earthquake thing has made me feel a certain way. Well, a certain way, oh, a certain way. I'm trying to feel it a certain way. Cause I just can't take it any other way. And I kind of feel a certain way. Los Angelinos are not allowed to complain to New Yorkers about New Yorkers complaining about an earthquake. Uh, here's here's my reasoning behind that. I was sitting in my office building, and all of a sudden, uh, the earth done quaketh. And, and when you're working in a high-rise in New York, and the building starts shaking, it's pretty terrifying. So immediately what happened is the earth started quaking, and then my supervisor turns around and goes, what the fuck was that? And then my coworker runs immediately to the stairs, and then a bunch of people are just lollygagging around wondering what to do from there. Uh, we got the hell out of there. Building shaking in New York. Um, also to New Yorkers, I'd say, you're not allowed to stick around. Uh, you got to get the hell out of there. So um, I felt it. I did feel it. So I'm not as manly as Jordan Ferber. I felt uh-huh. it. I felt the ground uh Sway. It was more like a swaying than anything else. More like a swaying than a quaking. Like you're in the middle of the ocean and there's just like light waves that you're kind of swaying through. Um, but my point is, uh, Los Angeles, it's a terrible place, basically. Jordan Ferber, would you agree with that? Would I agree that it's a terrible place? Uh, I don't know yeah. if I would. I mean, it's it's a soul-sucking place. You know, it definitely uh, challenges your soul. Mm-hmm. But I think the uh, you know the fact that uh, they have all the earthquakes out there just you just know that you're not on stable ground anywhere you go so you know keep that in mind and uh, you know just make it to your audition on time that's all. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Travis, were you? Uh, um, I heard from three different people that you were in fact walking to an audition, and did you make <laughs> it on time that day? You know, um, I'm not gonna say they are liars. But I don't know anything about that. I was actually on the Rockefeller <laughs> Plaza at the time, and then someone next to me, they sat down. They were like, oh, did you hear about this earthquake? I was like, no, I've, I've been here for the past hour and a half. I have no idea what you're talking about. And wow. then uh, I, I watched the news and, like, uh, see, because this is my second time in New York, and I'm only here for, like, this two weeks, and, like, one of the people that I'm here with told me that this happened. I was like, I, okay, I mean, <laughs> Are you from California? Is that where you live in L.A.? No, I'm actually from uh, Texas. Oh, are you a Friday yeah, Night Lights fan? No, I've never. I'm sorry. Are you a Friday Night Lights fan? Being from Texas? <laughs> no, uh, absolutely not. I'm not even from a cool part of Texas. It's just like a hipster community outside of Dallas. Sounds good to me. But, yeah, I mean, I was really let down by not feeling an earthquake because I don't know when I'm ever going to experience one. I mean, hopefully I never knock on wood, you know, awake on wood. Well, apparently, I guess I'm the only one that experienced it out of the three of us. Um, but uh, I am so glad we all got to experience this wonderful ten minutes together. Before I go, I want to mention that you can find more about Travis's project, Happily Ever After, by visiting www.sundowntheater.org. 
And Jordan, do you have a, uh, you have a show tonight? I have a show tonight at the Zinc Bar. I certainly do. Uh, awesome. At uh, 82 West 3rd Street, 8 o'clock tonight. And you can find and, out more uh, about one, me and my whole uh, schedule and stuff at jordanferber.com. Wonderful. Uh, check them out. Very simple. <laughs> Sundowntheater.org and jordanferber.com, except what's not simple about that is that it's J-O-R-D-O-N, so people should keep that in mind. Yes, although actually I uh, I, I also have the regular, sp- I also own uh, jordanferber.com, J-O-R-D-A-N, because people always misspell it. Oh, you little entrepreneur, you. Well, thank you guys so much for doing it. All right, thank well, you, Fred. Yep, thanks for having me on. Thank you. Uh, Okay, my guest today is a talented actress and singer who will be performing in her cabaret show, Kidding on the Square, beginning next Tuesday at the historic Oak Room at the Algonquin Hotel in New York City. Please welcome Emily Burgle. Oh, my goodness, hand applause. I love it. How are you today? I'm good. And by the way, I'm also pissed that I didn't feel the earthquake because this was literally the fourth earthquake that I've been a part of and not felt. Well, I I sympathize with you in that the previous three that I've been there for, I was like asleep during and felt nothing. They were in Los Angeles and Syracuse. And then, but finally I felt it. But it was a bad place to feel it, like in a building in New York, you know, that it starts shaking. I started panicking. Yeah, no, I yeah. no. It's really not something that you should hope for to feel an earthquake, but I do feel a little bit cheated. I understand. Yeah, I, I guess a lot of people just wanted to feel that little that little shake. They wanted to sh- shake their booty a little to the quick. Who doesn't want to shake well, their booty? Come on. <laughs> um, thank you so much for coming on today. Uh, I understand that you are rehearsing the show. Uh, now this cabaret and even working on tweaking it a bit for next week. How how is it going over there? It's going well. Um, speaking of natural disasters, I'm a little bit concerned about our Saturday and re- Sunday rehearsals about people getting oh, yeah. to and from the venue, considering there's going to be a hurricane. Um, but it's going great. I have a new musical director, Jonathan Mastro. Um, people would know him. Um, from David Cromer's Our Town, that revival that was down on Barrow Street for such a long time. Sure. Um, and he not only composed the music and music directed the show, he also played Simon Stimson. And he's just bringing this That's amazing awesome. quality to the music. And, you know, because it's the Oak Room of the Algonquin, I just thought it's such a historic place. My my show is really about kind of longing for days gone by of New York. I thought I really have to – my show was actually perfect for the room to begin with, but I thought I just want to really tweak it so it really fits in. So I've actually got a brand-new song um, that's never been performed before. Uh, it's an ode to Dorothy Parker. It's called Happy Birthday, Mr. Parker, because her 118th birthday was actually on Monday. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, she, she, But she's not still with us, is she? She is No, she's not still with us. She, she's not setting records. <laughs> okay. Um, she's, she's not on, she wasn't, uh, what is it, isn't it Smuckers that has the, the 100-year-olds on Today Show? Yeah. Have, yeah, she's not, she's not being featured on the Today Show. She is not still with us. Um, Willard Scott is not calling was, her name out. If she was alive, it would be her 118th birthday on Monday. And, you know, she was, um, the premier wit of the round table, um, 
and uh, really one of our, our great American writers. So I felt I, right. I had to acknowledge her on the show. Absolutely. And you're saying this is the longing for days gone by, and I, I read that there's, there's uh, references to the 20s here and stuff, but you, how, I mean, you're pretty young. How, how can you possibly long for an era that you did not live through? Well, you know, actually, there is, there's a word for it, though. Am I going to be able to remember it? Um, there, there is a, a word, a Brazilian word for it, and um, maybe one of your listeners can can remind me of it because I'm going to mispronounce it. But there actually is a term okay. for having nostalgia for times that you never knew. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that you know, I think that a lot of people can relate to that. I think when a lot of people you know watch old movies or see old photographs and see some of the kind of glamour that was going on in New York City, I think a lot of people kind of long for that and and, and relate to that. So what I want to do for, yeah. my, for anybody who feels this way, for, every, for anyone who feels, oh, I would have liked to have known what it would be like to be in that time, or I, I, I wish I knew New York when it was, I want to say come to the Oak Room, which is a historic, beautiful room to begin with. Um, and what I do is create this uh, glamorous, nostalgic world. Now, since I am a modern girl, I do a lot of songs from the 20s and 30s, but I haven't made it just as straight 20 show. Um, I put some some of my own modern songs that I love, too. Um, a good example of that would be, I love that song by the Sister Sisters, I Don't Feel Like Dancing. Now, obviously, that's a disco mm-hmm. song, but um, Jonathan Mastro has um, made this amazing ragtime ver- version of it. So you'll hear songs that you know and love from today and from other eras in addition to the 20s, but they're all kind of put into this magical world that I try to create in the Oak Room. That sounds really fascinating i uh i I see here in my notes that you've been doing a lot of promotion for this show including handing out flyers in the street and uh i hear that this isn't the first time you've actually solicited people on the street to come to your shows is it well it's it's true i mean when you become a cabaret singer when you start promoting your own show you really do become a shameless self-promoter and it's new york city there's a lot of tourists and i i was on desperate housewives last season uh, and people watch that all over the world. So I do get stopped in the street a lot by various people. So now when people stop me in the street, I actually give them a flyer for my show and tell them to come see my show. <laughs> and so you're just straight up like, and do they actually come? Do these strangers you we'll run into see. on the street actually come? We open on Tuesday. Okay, we'll have to we'll find see. out. It's a, new t- um, it's a new tactic. You know, I haven't done the diagnostics on it yet. Um <laughs> And uh, I also just today, actually, um, I shot a commercial. I thought, I thought, well, if there's commercials for the television shows I do, why can't I make a commercial for my cabaret? Um, I'll have to throw right. it up on your website. Um, but I actually released a commercial today for the show. I put it on my site, emilybergold.net. It's on my Twitter, under Emily Burgold, on my Facebook. Wherever I, wherever I can slap that baby, it's there. Oh, we will, we will just, we will twat on people's, Skype walls on the Facebook and whatever the terminology is, we'll we'll do it all. I know for it's you. so hard to keep up with the stuff. It's really funny too because I was I was talking to. Have you ever noticed that people over fifty think that Facebook and Twitter is just this like magical thing that just gets millions of people? I was talking uh-huh. about this the other day and I said, oh, you know, I'm really excited for the show. Of course, you know, I'm I'm really working hard to promote it. And then the person just turned to me and said. Well, you have Facebook, don't you? You should be fine. 
Yeah. Facebook was just this magical thing, and millions of people are going to come to my show because I have a Facebook account. I mean, I'm lucky. I do, you I know, I have, yeah. I have fans, and, and it does help me, but I just think it's funny that older people think that this social media is this magical thing that you just snap your fingers and people come and drive. I wonder, <laughs> I wonder if they think, like, if you're about to do a show and you need to fill, like, a 50-seater theater, they're like, oh, just set up a Facebook account. You'll be all set. And that's what you need they to do. They really like, do that, think that. that. Day up. They, yeah. they, they really do think that. <laughs> um, and I also see that you had quite an incident recently, Emily, with uh, the hotel cat Matilda. Uh, how did this go down? Yes, she's kind of a sour pussy, that cat. Um, oh, dear. Well, the Algonquin Hotel has uh, a tradition um, of having a cat that lives in the lobby. It started... Um, a good few years ago when a cat from the street just wandered into the hotel and uh, the mm-hmm. maitre d' started feeding it. And the cat lived in the hotel for the rest of its life. So ever since then, the Algonquin has adopted a cat and the cat has lived in the lobby of the hotel. And the current cat is Matilda. Uh, and what's interesting about Matilda is if you go on the Algonquin website, you can actually send Matilda an email. I don't know if they print uh-huh. them out and read them to her. I don't know how they communicate them to her, but you can email her. So I was really excited about meeting this cat, and I featured the cat a little bit in my show. And we were rehearsing in the Oak Room the other day, and the cat actually wandered into the space, and I thought, oh, this is a sign. Matilda loves the show. It's going to be a huge success. And so I went to pet her uh-huh. to thank her, and she bit me. Oh. Did you, did you, like, go get a shot for rabies after that? No, no. I mean, it, you know, it's just a little cat love bite. I <laughs> love bite. Um, yeah. Well, th- what if you emailed the cat, and I think it'd be great if you got back, like, this totally incoherent email. They actually did have the cat, like, respond to the email. It'd be great. You know, I should actually email Matilda and, and, you know, make sure that she's not mad at me because, you know, I don't, want that, I, want, I don't want that energy in my show. <laughs> Speaking of, have you requested for the hotel to put Matilda down during your finale? To put what down during the finale? To put down Matilda for your finale. Oh, yes. That's, I'm such a diva that I've required them to put the cat down before I arrive. And no one can look at me as I enter the lobby. No one can make eye contact. And have a, is a veterinarian come in for your finale. Like, you don't even come out for a curtain call. Just veterinarian right. kills the cat at the end. You're yes. dark. You are dark. Uh, I like um, it. Well, <laughs> um, now that this uh, this title... Uh, kidding on the square. What is the significance behind that? I, as an expression, it's actually the originated in the 1920s, where when my show came from. Um, mm-hmm. But it's an expression I love. It means when you're joking about something, but you really mean it. My Irish mother has a really great way of saying it. She says, when you're half joking, it's usually the whole truth. Um, and so uh-huh. I picked this because when I was looking at the numbers for my show, you know, I, I'm an actor first, so I had a lot of characters, and, and I realized that I was, like, a lot of the, the numbers I did um, had some kind of darker undertones, and even if they were comic, they were about people, a lot of the songs are about people that are, like, maybe a little bit off or or struggling, and I thought, isn't this funny? I mean, I've got this show that's really funny, but there's a dark side to it, too. There's there's, there's the, there are these dramatic undertones, so I thought that would be the perfect uh, that would be the perfect title for my show because I think that's a lot of what I might songs do. Uh huh. 
So the the square part, where does that come in? Well, um, hitting on the square means kind of like on the level. It means when you're being okay. honest. So it's kind of basically mm-hmm. like you're kidding, but you're really being honest at the same time. Ah, I see. I see. Um, I almost used that phrase today, that whole uh, I'm, I'm only half joking here, but I, I was fully serious. So I guess your mom was right. So, I mean, Grace, maybe you, I mean, maybe you really hate cats. Maybe you were just kidding on the square when you were talking about putting down the cat. Maybe I was. Maybe I had a little Beth Young in me and wanted to, to get down and dirty. Um, Beth Young really only now, got violent with herself, but. Yeah. Okay, so of course you're. Yeah. Oh, don't pull. Don't pull a Beth Young and put down yourself at the end of the, yeah. the show. That'd be yeah. terrible. <laughs> um, so of course uh, we'll we'll talk a little bit a bit about about that later. But you're playing the Oak Room, which is quite historic, and it's where all the trendy trendsetters go. Oh wait, wait, is that the Oak Room in the Plaza? You know what? You I know, just confused actually, the Oak Room because there's, there's no there's yeah. no confusion between them anymore because the Oak Room and the Plaza shut down. So you can't go there anymore. There's only one oak room in New York City, and it's at the Algonquin Hotel, which is on uh, 44th between 5th and 6th. Oh, good good little location right in the middle of town there for your show. You know, the plaza um, looks like hell lately. I went by the plaza lately, and there was just these big empty ballrooms. It's just so sad mm-hmm. that these, you know, these New York institutions, I mean, the plaza has such history, and it's so famous. And yeah. It looks looks like crap lately. I, I was really disappointed when I saw it. I mean, I'm just glad that places really? like the Algonquin are still around. Yeah, definitely. Got to preserve those places. When I think plaza, all I really think about is home alone, because isn't that where the, the family was staying when Macaulay Culkin was left home? Were they at the plaza? I don't remember. It, oh, I Probably. guess it must have been home alone, too. Yeah, yeah. must have been, too. Um, well, I know a good number of the songs that you're singing in the show are from the 20s and 30s, as we mentioned yeah. before. Um, you say you you prefer doing songs from that era because back then Broadway singers sang in a higher voice and were sexier. Is that true? Well, what I think about that time period is that, first of all, the song, the lyrics of the songs were just so cleverly constructed. But I think that mm-hmm. people sang lyrically back then. Um, look, do I do I love to hear a nice Broadway belt? Sometimes yes. But frankly, when I go to Broadway lately, I just hear a lot of screaming. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I I like some of the older songs because I feel like um, women particularly could sing in a more feminine way, um, in a more relaxed way, and in a more lyric way. And that's really kind of the yeah. voice that I have. I'm, I mean, I sing low too, but I'm a lyric soprano, and and I, and I love to just to, to phrase a song and and to sing it and really try and to to bring the lyricism and the beauty of of the music out. Um, so that's another reason why I picked some of these songs because I thought my voice was suited to it, and I felt that we don't really hear singing like that a lot on Broadway anymore. Do you do you ever have the desire to? to belt out a, a modern Broadway song like that, or do you, do you kind of leave that alone? I do, I do. I I I belt sometimes, you know. I mean, you gotta you gotta belt sometimes. I I'll belt yeah. it out. Um, but uh, I I think you know the the the, the current Broadway sound. It's not only belting; it's very nasal, and it's great mm-hmm. to have that razor sharp tone that cuts through like a knife. But I just feel like everyone's kind of screaming through their nose. 
And to me, that yeah. it, it, I think it's difficult to interpret a song if you just limit yourself to that tone. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. And I, it's interesting you say that now because uh, the last show, the last episode we did, we had Selena Carvajal on who has kind of been, uh, you know, a rocker on Broadway for a long time now. And we were talking about how her vocal quality has all of a sudden it's, it's kind of like Janis Joplin and she's found this new where, like, it's not like all, everyone else seems to be doing this nasal thing you're talking about except Selena belted out this song and, and just she screamed it at our anniversary show except that I don't know what she did exactly, but whatever she did, everyone in that audience got an erection at the same time. Wow, that's I, I'd like to I'd like to see that. <laughs> Even the women. So um, I've heard that you uh, you talked about the show being about nostalgia. Um, would you actually ever want to? I know you have a fascination with that era. Would you actually want to live in the twenties and thirties? Well, that, it's it's a little bit of a. Tr- I mean. I, I definitely prefer to go back to post when women could vote, certainly. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, I think I won't. <laughs> It'd be funny if you didn't. It'd be like, oh, no, take the votes away. Yeah, no, vote, voting, not a big deal. Um, <laughs> I, I, I would like to experience that time period. I'd like to see New York during that time period, and I think it was also kind of a very wild time period. I think people were bootlegging hooch, and there was, there was a lot of political activity. You know, we had a there was a big depression, like the recession we're going through now. I, mean, I think there's like a lot of correlation between that period and now. I would love to see that sure. time period, but I actually like to live in it. I don't know. I'm not sure. I feel like maybe as a woman, I'd have more freedom now. Um, but yes. If, if nothing else, to you know, I mean, to, I, to be honest with you, lately I'd really like to go back to a time before email because mm-hmm. it's just such a time suck. I, I've been longing lately to just go back to a time where we actually spoke to one another on the phone. Yeah. yeah. Do you, would you say you kind of have an old soul in that regard? Yes. Well, I'm just getting old. I mean, but, uh, <laughs> I mean, speaking of cats... Recently, my friend posted on Facebook that his cat died, and someone wrote on it, I wish, someone posted on it, I wish there was a don't like button. And I thought, so to express condolence, you wish there was a button that you could press? I mean, can't you you at least just say, sorry, your type, sorry, your cat died? No, no, I want a button to do that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, at least your friend didn't. Click the like button. True. True. Yeah. Yeah. Someone was saying, "Oh, I wish there was more buttons, like agree or disagree or don't like." And I said, "Why? Why do? Why do you want to push a button for self-expression?" Yeah, you can just say it. I guess. Yeah. We've forgotten about that. Oh well. Um, and uh, you know, we actually have a uh, a question from one of our listeners. Uh, this comes from Tom. Uh, Emily, what do you think of Lauren Ambrose being in uh, being New Girl and Funny Girl? Okay, Tom. Wait, is that me just pushing the buttons on my cheek? I'm sorry, I'm being so annoying. Um, well, first of all, do you really think I'm going to walk into that one? I mean, um, but I will actually, I will, I will answer the question honestly. Um, okay. I actually did a movie with Lauren Ambrose last year, mm-hmm. um, and I've also worked with Bart Sheer. Uh, who's directing, and I esteem 
those two as artists so highly. Uh, Lauren is an amazing actor, and she's also a great singer. I mean, look, do I understand why people are up in arms about her not being Jewish? Yes, I get it. Um, I, I Personally, I think we need to be expansive with casting. Uh, but in terms of people saying she's not a singer, that I don't understand because she's actually been singing professionally for years. She has a band called uh, Lauren Ambrose and the Leisure Class, and she's an amazing singer. So if there's any questions huh. that she can sing the show, have no fear. She will sing the shit out of that show. Mm-hmm. But will she give the audience – never mind. Let's, let's move what, on. Will, will she um, give the audience the fact that she's Jewish in real life? No. no. But, I mean, I've played serial killers, and I'm not a serial killer. I'm actually, I've actually played Jewish yes. roles on stage. But when I have yes, red hair, I had an I acting teacher all the time. I, mean, I had an acting it's, teacher it's, who said, never say I'm not. He would say, you know, I'm not a serial killer yet is what you have to say there. Yeah, right. I mean, look, I understand. I mean, um, the casting is a tricky thing, um, yeah. and I think that we we do. I absolutely agree that they we need to have we, we need to make an effort in casting um, to make it be more diverse. When I turn on my television, I still don't think there's uh, enough diversity representation. Um, and, uh, yeah. and there are it's people not. of color on TV. A lot of the time, you know, they're the best friend parts or the boss, the person who says, and then what happens? You know, and then what happens? They're the people who get mm-hmm. the information, and that people—they're not the characters that actually have power in terms of the story. And I do feel very strongly about that. But I mean, I think that we can't really kind of have this blinders on when it when it when it comes to when it comes to roles. Right. Uh, yeah. I, it's interesting you say that. We had a in my drama department in college, we had August Wilson come in and talk to us once, and he was pretty adamantly against colorblind casting, and it was during. Uh, Timothy Douglas's Crucible at Syracuse Stage, where he had a mostly African American cast, and I thought the play right. was, was very powerful that way. Um, yeah. So yeah, but I guess if you you know it depends on who you talk to. I mean, um, August Wilson was against it, but Timothy Douglas was for it. So um, one thing I noticed about you uh, is that you were born in England, but your dad is from a town in Ireland. Um, where Actually, my is, mom. Oh, that's from, right. My dad is English, and my mom's from a small town in Ireland. I'm oh, actually okay. going back for is, Christmas. Oh, are you really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is the town that Bono's from, I hear? Yes, Bono. Um, it's, it's, well, he's not from there, but he lives there now. It's this little seaside town called Docky where um, my, my mother grew up with her five brothers and sisters. Um, and uh, it's, it's kind of funny because people in America sometimes think that everybody in Ireland knows each other. You'll say, mm-hmm. my mom will say she's from Ireland, and they'll say, oh, you know, my family from Ireland two generations ago, do you know them? But <laughs> it actually does sometimes happen because somebody asked me recently, do you know Bono? And my cousin, Saoirse, was actually the nanny to Bono's children um, while they were growing up. So I actually do have a connection to Bono, so it's kind of funny. In wow. a way, people in Ireland actually do kind of know one another. Small country. But you've never actually met him yourself? You know, every time I go to Ireland, it, you know, I'll, I'll be out somewhere and my cousins will be out somewhere else and I'll hear the next day, oh, Emily should have come round last night. Bono was at the, the pub. We had such a good time. <laughs> and I, every time I say, 
call me. Just call me next time, okay? I'm not above wanting to meet Bono, you know? Right. <laughs> uh, every time you go there and he's not there, is he off writing a shitty Broadway musical? Well, I can't say if Spider-Man is shitty because I haven't seen it. Um, yeah. But these instances were, were pre-Bono's infamous forays into musical theater. <laughs> I like the sound of that. Your, your wording is very... I'm kind of turned on right now. Um, uh, I, do, speaking oh, I, just, of, I, I, hope, do, I hope the entire audience got a simultaneous erection. <laughs> um, well, I, want, I do want to get to your role on Desperate Housewives. Um, I, by the way, I'm very relieved. In, I, I was relieved in the first five minutes of talking to you today uh, that I did not feel like I was talking to Beth Young because I do watch that show. And oh, your you character did you tell me that? Sorry? You watched that show? I didn't know. I wasn't told that you watched Desperate Housewives. I do watch it. I saw your entire crazy ass emotional journey this past season that you played so well. Um and uh and I saw it come to that that abrupt end. Um so and I know you've become quite a fan favorite on the show, uh uh me being one of those fans. How did how did this how, how did you get involved in that show? You know what? That's a really great question because how I got involved in that show is actually how I started doing my cabaret show. They're the same. They they, they kind of happened on the same evening. Um, I'm really? a member of this uh, theater company in Los Angeles called Antius, and we uh, mm-hmm. were a theater company that uh, does solely classic works. Um, we were having a benefit evening one night. We did an evening of Noel Coward songs, and um, mm-hmm. I decided that I was going to do the song Mad About the Boy. Now this song is traditionally sung as this sexy torch song. And the more I read the lyrics to the song, the more I realized this woman who's singing this song is crazy. She's a crazy stalker, and that's how this song should be done. So on that evening, I did the song, and I kind of did it at first where you think it's going to be just the traditional version. And then this show, as the song went on, I got crazier and crazier and crazier. And Mark Cherry, who is the creator of Desperate Housewives, was at that benefit evening mm-hmm. and at the end of the evening there were all these prizes and one of the prizes was that I would come to your house and make a fondue dinner for you and Mark Cherry because he liked the song so much did it on the dinner and I went to his house and he said that he wanted to write a part for me in Desperate Housewives actually at first he said he wanted oh. to write a part called The Fondue Nazi <laughs> The Fondue now, Nazi he never did that did get it, Rich? He, uh-huh. he never wrote a part called The Fondue Nazi but um, a year later, this role um, of Beth Young came up, and I went in, and I already knew Mark, and it and ended up working out. And so that's how I first met Mark Cherry. And actually, because that song was so successful at that benefit evening that night, that night I decided that I was going to do my own cabaret show. Wow. Yeah. Hold up. This, this fondue Nazi, what what were you slated to play this fondue Nazi, and what was what was this character all about? Was it like a soup no, Nazi Mark was just deal? saying, oh, I'm going to run for you, and it's going to call, be called the fondue Nazi. Of course, nothing ever happens from that. He never he never wrote the part. It never came to fruition. And he was probably kidding on the square. Um, yeah. But uh, I do think this role of Beth Young, I mean, she, she there's a lot of similarities to the character that I played in the song. And, mm-hmm. So then, and you know, that Beth was actually Beth was actually supposed to die. You, you said my death was abrupt, which it was, and I loved it because it was so shocking. But I was actually supposed to die much earlier on that show. Do you remember when really? Paul Young? 
finds out, he thinks that I shot him, and he's yeah. about to take me to this cabin in the woods and kill me? Yes, sure. Well, I was supposed to die then. I was, he was supposed really? to kill me then. And, and my, yeah, my whole contract was up. And at the last minute, they we even shot that scene where he says, you know, I'm, I'm taking you to this cabin and, you know, and then at the last minute, I got the, it was like a stay of execution. They decided they wanted to keep <laughs> me on longer. And it's, they, we even shot the scene, and they cut it. And then they kept me on for, uh, I think, like five or six more episodes. That's amazing. They kill you, and yet you're still on the show. Alive. Um, it's it's like a, It really is like a soap opera at night. How about that? Um, yeah, it, and it, it, it is. I mean, you never know what's, you, you what's going to happen when you pick up that script. <laughs> um, and I, I happen to hear um, that you had some creative input on how your character dressed, so I guess you didn't get along too well with the wardrobe people, huh? Oh, actually, the absolute opposite. The wardrobe person was, <clears throat> I told the wardrobe person that my conception was, because, you know, um, Beth Young um, grew up with this really domineering mother played by Her- the amazing Harriet Harris. And so, really... It seems did you you didn't just goes, say played by Chuck D, did you? Chuck D from Public Enemy is that that's not who you're referring to, was it? Because um, that's what I, I heard. Did I, did I just? I heard that. Did I have a flashback right now? Because I just said Harriet Harris, and did you somehow confuse that with Chuck D? <laughs> that's what I heard. That, okay. That's, I think that's probably the first time that Harriet Harris and Chuck D has been confused for one another. <laughs> well, that sounds nothing like. Uh, not like the other at all. I think it's the name must have sounded like it. Anyway, continue. Sorry to interrupt. Oh yeah, no, no, no problem. That's I, I'm 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 probably gonna have to go back for elocution lessons um, after this. I think. Um, but uh, yeah, so I know uh, the voice Nazi, so we'll throw him. We'll send yes, him your right. way. Right. I've worked with a few voice Nazis in my day, honey. Uh, <laughs> so yes, Harriet Harris. Um, was played my mother in the show, this very domineering person. And my conception was that that Beth had never really, that she'd never, well, it was more than just my conception. Beth had never left home before she went to go and live to be Polly Young's wife. So I thought, well, she probably wouldn't have a lot of clothes. So my conception was that um, Harriet Harris's character um, had this kind of glamorous life in the past had all these this closet full of old clothes, kind of like a Miss Habersham kind of thing. Right. And um, so I told the costume designer, I think that I should be wearing all these vintage clothes that they were like my mom's clothes from the 60s. Um, and she loved the idea because they all wear designer stuff on the show and nobody wears vintage. So mm-hmm. she actually, we loved working together. And you know what the really interesting thing about those clothes is that sometimes... What's up? Sometimes we'd have to have several different um, copies of the same outfit. For instance, if I was shooting myself in the head and I might get blood on my dress. Um, <laughs> so sometimes they would say, okay, we have to buy something new that looks like vintage. And they would go to Rodeo Drive and spend thousands of dollars on these clothes. And most of the time, mm-hmm. the stuff from the old stuff from the 50s and 60s was so much flattering and fit me so much better than the designer stuff that cost thousands of dollars. Really? Yeah. I think back then they wow. actually wanted to, you know, clothes were made to flatter real women's bodies and not six-foot-tall clothes hangers. Yeah. It sounds like you sh- you probably should have been born so that you could have lived at a time like 
in between the twenties and the fifties, maybe. Yes, I I can definitely see I can definitely see myself then. But you know, luckily I can just I wear those clothes anyway. I mean, I've got some vintage in my wardrobe. I'm not afraid to <laughs> bust out a dress in the fifties. And you know, the True. funny thing and is, all- I'll tell you, the funny thing mm-hmm. is, you can always I was you always judge if a New York woman outfits are usually not solely judged, but partially judged by the comments that one receives on the street. Right. And I find that a really flattering but demure, beautiful 50s dress will get more compliments than a really short skirt. I think you have a point there. I think it's. I think those sorts of dresses are, you know, coming back in all sorts, you know, in Williamsburg and all sorts of places in New York that, you know, you, you see a lot of old vintage stuff now. Like yeah. That. Um, well, since you were on Desperate Housewives, I want us to get to our new segment where I ask you about things you might have known when you knew them, otherwise known as what do you currently know about what you used to know when you knew it? Here we go. What is this? Wait, you're bringing this complete surprise What do you know? What do you currently know about what you used to know when you knew it? Is this going to be some okay. kind of trivia about Desperate Housewives? Because this is going to be an epic fail if it is. Yes. Yes, it is, but I think you'll do just fine. Okay. Um, is it about okay. my season? Because I actually didn't watch I, Who has, As a theater actor, you can't watch television shows. You're performing in the theater every night. <laughs> you'll be fine. I promise. Um, All right. So uh, who uh, – this is not your season. You may or may not know this, but I, I think the other ones might be uh, more relevant to your season. Okay. Who played Andrew Van De Camp's First boyfriend on Desperate Housewives. Is it former Lucas Jones on General Hospital, Ryan Karn? Is it Blazing Rye radio host, Ryan Holmes? Or is it Minnesota Vikings running back, Adrian Peterson? I'm going to go with B. B. Oh, that's me. Very nice. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I'll say you are correct. Second question. Um, prior to her role as Susan on Desperate Housewives, Terry Hatcher was on what show about a superhero? Is it A, oh, the CW's that's a softball. Ball that's a softball. Lois and Clark. <laughs> there you go. Didn't even need to say it. All right, let's move on. Um, number three, with whom did Gabby Solis, played by Ava Longoria, have an affair? Is it A, Jesse the Gardener, B, Mike Delfino, or C, late-night talk show host Jay Leno? Uh, oh, A, A, for sure. A. Very I'm good. I'm doing, doing better great. on this than I thought I would. Yeah, you're doing amazing. And lastly, how did your your character, Beth Young, die on Desperate Housewives? Is it A, she was uh, run over by Orson's car, B, suicide, or C, she accidentally shot herself in the foot a la New York Jets wide receiver plexico birth? Oh, okay. I, I, I love the creativity of C, um, but of course... It was a suicide. That I can't remember as I performed it myself. <laughs> Good. And, um, Best death ever. You know, I usually kill people in shows. Uh-huh. I usually did kill you enjoy, people. I usually don't get killed. Did you enjoy getting killed yourself, even though you were the one doing it? Yes. It was. It was very – well, actually, it was – it was, it was a little bit difficult because I, I I guess I'm not very good at killing myself because I kept mm-hmm. on hold, holding the gun at this weird angle. I guess I don't have a suicidal impulse. Mm-hmm. I would hope not. Um, I, you know, and, and while you're talking about you usually kill people, I hear that you actually have a top ten list of actors that you killed, 
um, that you've been coming up with? Uh, just just last yeah, week, I was what is that? I was talking. This girl came up to me after a yoga class, and she said, "Oh, I just saw you on TV um, the other night on this television show. You killed someone." And I said, "Oh, was it CSI Miami?" And she said, "No, no." And I said, oh, okay, um, was it medium? And she said, no. And then I kept on coming up with more and more things, and it made me realize that I've killed a lot of people in my career. I should probably come up with a top ten list of my favorite actors that I've killed. <laughs> Who is your top favorite actor that you've killed? Who did you enjoy killing the most? Hmm. Well, I really liked killing Amy Irving because um, I grew up watching her. Um, so I feel like, mm-hmm. you know, Killing, on killing an icon for you. That that, that was that was huge. Um, I really liked killing uh, uh, Sam Trammell uh, on mm-hmm. the because he's an amazing actor. And also, my first job in New York, I uh, was understudying a production of All Wilderness that he starred in. So I have a soft spot for him. You know, anyone I really oh. like in real life, I like killing them in fiction. You know. <laughs> but I mean, okay, I so killed you, you more like people them. in. I mean, I killed more people in my first movie than most actors kill in their entire career. I mean, I did the sequel to the movie Carrie, so I mean, I killed over a hundred people in my first movie. So I killed oh a lot God. of people from that. Rachel Blanchard, I killed. I killed Zachary Ty Bryan. I killed Dylan Bruno. I killed a bunch of extras. Wow. Was was this the point when Zachary Ty Bryan was still hot, or had he? Started getting older at that point. Um, he was still hot. Okay. <laughs> um, and uh, you know what? We um, only got a couple minutes left, but we are going to do something we always do on the show, Emily. Uh, we're going to play another game. It's called Hot or Hot Mess, where I give you a list of things. You tell me, Emily Burgle, if they are hot or a hot mess. Are you ready? Oh, I'm so ready. Wait, can I, can okay, I do let's... hot tranny mess? Is it, I need to clarify. Is it hot mess or hot tranny mess? How about I? I absolutely 100% encourage throwing that tranny in there. Okay. Well, you know, who doesn't love a tranny? <laughs> um, well, Eddie Murphy does. We know that. Let's open it up. First up on hot or hot tranny mess. I feel weird even saying his name now after saying that, but Jimmy Carter. Oh, please, hot. And let me tell you, I know that from experience because I build a lot with him uh, with Habitat, and he looks good when he's framing a wall. Does he? But his wife, Rosalind Carter, is also super hot. Wow, awesome. Um, Both hot. Smoking. (laughs) Both both hot. Uh, How about Neil Patrick Harris, hot or hot training method? Okay, i got to tell you that off the charts hot because I did Romeo and Juliet with Neil Patrick Harris at the World Theaters in San Diego. And to Mm -hmm. this day, it is still the hottest kiss I have ever received on stage. He literally, we were doing the balcony scene, and he literally did a pull-up onto the balcony and kissed me while doing a pull-up. Hottest stage kiss ever (laughs) in my career thus far, still. But yet to be topped. <laughs> Wait, are you are you still referring to the same thing when you say yet to be topped, or have you moved on to something else about him? <laughs> I 
I'm not going to touch that. I'm not going to touch that. Yeah. <laughs> apologies. Apologies all around. Um, I agree. He's but, you know, a lot okay. of people think, you know, a lot of people, like, I tell you, you know, now, now Neil is, you know, is, is out and proud, and I I want to bust that myth right there that there can't be chemistry between gay people and straight people because we had mad chemistry up there. Mad chemistry up in that He's balcony. He's a great kisser. He's a great kisser. You heard it here. Yeah, and that sounds even hotter than that Spider-Man scene where they're making out upside down or whatever. This the the pull-up thing is that's genius. I tell you, I I recommend a pull-up kiss to anybody out there. <laughs> How about next up on Hotter Hot Mess? Your love loss and what I wore co-star Ashley Austin Morris. Hot or hot tranny mess? <laughs> okay, I love Ashley so much, and she is smoking hot. But I do have to say that since I shared a dressing room with her, that I've seen both of us on days where we were both hot tranny messes. So I've got to say that she's smoking hot, but I've seen her when she's a hot tranny mess, and she's seen me in the same condition. Okay. So a little bit of both. How about yeah. the East Coast East Coast earthquake hot or hot mess? Hot tranny mess. I never even felt it. Come on, tranny. Give me something. <laughs> <laughs> I say that every night. Every night. Last you know, up, I, speaking of tranny, I have to share with you my favorite slang that I learned on the set of Desperate Housewives. Oh, um, to hair people, if there was an, a particularly metrosexual guy wandering around, they would call him Manny mm-hmm. Teddy Tranny Tanny. Oh, so when I'm listening to Ryan Seacrest in the morning, should I start saying I'm listening to Manny Petty Tranny? What did what was it? Manny Petty Tranny Tanny. I think probably Ryan Seacrest Im- embodies the very essence <laughs> of Manny Petty Tranny Tanny. <laughs> Manny Petty Tranny Tanny. Okay, you learned something today. Yes, I'll keep that in my vocabulary. Um, and last up on hot or hot mess. New York City pizza, hot or hot tranny mess? How drunk am I when I'm eating it? Um, <laughs> let's say it's 1 o'clock on a Saturday, 1 a.m. Okay, if I walk the extra two blocks and go to Joe's Pizza, hot. Mm-hmm. If I'm lazy and go to Bleecker Street Pizza, hot tranny mess. <laughs> <laughs> Joe's Pizza, hot. Bleecker Street, hot tranny mess. Yes. Hot tranny tanny tanny mess. Not even not even Manny Petty tranny tanny. That 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 pizza is just a hot mess. Let me tell you, I have that pizza. That pizza advertises itself. Apparently, the Food Network said that that slice was the best slice in New York City. Let me tell you, I I tried it once drunk because anyone knows that a piece of pizza is always phenomenal drunk, and I didn't even like it then. <laughs> That is really saying something, too. That's gross. Sounds gross. I'll remember never to go there. Um, well, Emily, I just wanted to say, yeah, I'm very familiar with the the work that you did this past season, and you had one of those very tough characters where you, you know, you, as an audience member, I kind of disliked her at first, and then I saw the humanity in her, and then I thought she was nuts, and then I was like, oh, she's nice. And, I mean, the, the way that you played that emotional arc was, was pretty brilliant, so I just wanted to commend you on that. Very well done. Thank you so much. I, You know, I really did love that character, and it was a big lesson to me because I always knew that she was good at heart, 
and it actually surprised me when people at, at the beginning thought she was going to be evil, and people come up to me in the street and they'll say, "Oh, you, you, you were you're playing that evil part in this but Housewives," and it really would almost hurt my feelings because I think Tatiana is not evil. How can people think this? But it was a good learning lesson for me because I realized that it's actually great to surprise people to give them something unexpected. Yes, absolutely. I would totally agree with that, um, Emily. Thank you so much for doing it. You can catch Emily and Kidding on the Square at the Oak Room Supper Club at the Algonquin Hotel starting next Tuesday through September 10th. For tickets, you can call 212-840-6800 or email bmcgurn at algonquinhotel.com. Um, Emily, this is a blast. Also, come back and do also, our, uh, if anyone if anyone didn't have a pen handy, all the information for it is on my website, emilyburgle.net. Emilyburgle.net, yes. Yes. And um, I had a great time today. Will you come back and do our panel sometime? Manny, Penny, Traddy, Caddy, I promise. <laughs> all right, thank you so much for doing it. Thank you. Take care. All Bye. right, well, that's... Uh, that was it for today. Thanks to Emily Bergel for coming on, as well as Jordan Ferber and Travis Stubing. Stubing for joining us on the panel. Just a reminder that Travis's show, Happily Ever After, is playing this weekend at the CSV Flamboyant in New York City. It's an interesting name for a theater. Ticket info and showtimes are available at sundowntheater.org. You can check out Jordan Ferber's website, which is jordanferber.com, and apparently you can type J-O-R-D-O-N or J-O-R-D-A-N because he has secured both of those domains. As we start getting into the fall, we have some exciting shows coming up. Make sure to like us on the Facebook and follow us uh, at Blazin' Rye Radio on Twitter. Is it Twitter or Twitter? Next Monday, we're welcoming top-notch acting coach Howard Fine, as well as screenwriting judge Sean Hinchy. Uh, we'll also be back at the same time next Thursday with Maureen and the new Rent, Emily Ashford, who I hear is just killing it. Uh, for now, though, I can think of no better way of ending it at the show by saying if it ain't showbiz, it ain't a biz. And lastly, somebody owes me a martini. <laughs>